This week, we've got former NFL corner and friend of the pod, Eric Crocker, on to break down the win against the Carolina Panthers. And then we have Ed Smith, former NFL tight end here uh, to preview the game against the Arizona Cardinals. So let's go. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is the seventh consecutive win Wednesday, and this is just the second time in franchise history that the 49ers have started 7-0. and And with me this week, to intercept your hearts and minds like he's stalking Kyle Allen, it's Eric Crocker. <laughs> uh, I like the introduction. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I figured former DB coming back on the show... Kyle Allen getting exposed. I figured it all worked together. Yeah, man. Uh, and everything's working together for the 49ers right now, man. 7-0. and That's exactly right. Let's talk about that 49ers game because they absolutely crushed Carolina 51-13. And, man, it seems like they're breaking some kind of record weekly or some kind of streak weekly because this is the most points they've they've scored since beating the Lions 55-17 to in 1993. This is their wow. seventh straight win, which is the most to open the season since 1990 way back when George Seifert was blowing through Sertz mints and avoiding the logo in the center of the field. Uh, and this marks the fourth consecutive game in which the team has held an opponent to 100 total passing yards or fewer net passing yards. at 78 against the Browns, 48 against the Rams, 50 against the Redskins, and they held the, uh, the, the Panthers to 100 even net passing yards. I mean, this team is clicking on all cylinders. I think that that last stat you threw out there, that might be the most impressive out of all of them. Um, to keep guys under, you know, 100 net passing yards in just a passing league now where you, you can't even really touch guys without them throwing flags or, you know, it's easy for quarterbacks to move the ball downfield. Everything is so spread out. So to, to be able to kind of hold a team, team, several teams for consecutive weeks to those type of minimum numbers, like, that's that's the most impressive. I think that might be more impressive than even the seven and no start. Now, of course, it started with the ground game, and there really is continued greatness on the ground. It's a really, really varied and deep running game for Kyle Shanahan with a foundation in that zone running scheme. And and really, the story of the success of the ground game, I think, is all really all due to deception. And the deception in the run game spread to a couple of key runs that will break down, but. Really, it's it's messing with defenders' keys. Like, why does deception work ultimately? It's because linebackers, and you know this, right? You played defensive back in the NFL. You know that, like, all right, when I see one thing, I expect something else. And for linebackers and defensive linemen, you're reading guards pulling. You're reading linemen's heads popping up. These are the keys that tell you that something is happening. And what Kyle Shanahan is doing is he's saying, I'm going to give you one key and then present you with something completely different. And it really is screwing up what defense, what defenses are able to do to stop the run. Right, and a lot of the things that he's doing, you know, I don't know if you saw the uh, Baldinger, uh, the Baldy breakdown he did on on the run game and the different, you know, play fakes and actions and things that Jimmy Garoppolo was doing, um, even after handing the ball off. Boy, well, are going going to build on a lot of these uh, run plays that they're doing and add, you know, different, you know throwbacks and screens and all type of things off of it, man. I, I, Kyle Shanahan, what, what he's done with his team and where he's going and just the deception in this offense is it's really, it's really cool to see. 
Well, let's talk about one of those runs because it, it's a run called Wanda. And Wanda, if you're a Niners fan, you're a Kyle Shanahan fan, is probably a term you should become familiar with. It's it's the weak side outside zone play that really is the 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 foundation of a lot of what Kyle Shanahan does. And and he calls it Wanda. And, and he actually called Wanda on that touchdown run that Tevin Coleman had. Uh, well, one I mean, one of his many, right, that he had against the Carolina Panthers. But this, I think, is one of those super interesting plays. It's a marriage of execution and scheme and setup because it's a weak side zone play. You know, that, that's something that the Niners run all the time. It's something Shanahan runs all the time. But first, you've got 11 personnel. It's second and long, which is a passing down. The team comes out in 11 personnel. All of a sudden, Carolina's thinking, okay, pass. That's your first tip off. But then you send Debo Samuel on the orbit motion. And what that does is it forces Eric Reed to widen with Debo since he's got him in coverage, right? Okay, that's going to the strong side of the formation. And then you hit the weak side outside zone. But what you do is you leave Gerald McCoy, the defensive tackle, unblocked. And what that does is it allows you to get an extra blocker in the box and secure an advantage because you are blocking one of the Carolina defenders with literal air. And then you trust your lineman to execute one-on-one and the C's part. And Tevin Coleman's able to run untouched to the end zone. And Eric Reed just gets to him as he crosses the goal line. Had Eric Reed not widened with Debo Samuel, he probably gets there a little earlier and maybe stops Coleman uh, short of the goal line. So, I mean, everything just works together in concert, showing you one thing, giving you something else, all just trying to get back to your base run. Niners execute it well, and it's a touchdown, an easy touchdown for Tevin Coleman. Yeah, I- the, the the run game, I mean, they, they were just gashing the Panthers over and over, especially, you know, Tevin Coleman hitting it with his speed. I think that's the underrated part of, of this whole thing where, yeah, sometimes you have big holes and guys can run through a hole and pick up 10 yards. Tevin Coleman, Matt Breda, Raheem Mostert, these guys actually have the speed to shoot through those gaps and not just pick up 10, 15 yards, but take it to the house. Yeah, then the Niners had seven runs of 10 or more yards Uh, And they had like 234 rushing yards on the day. That's if you remove the lost yardage because of the victory formations. Only 69 of those yards were after contact. 69 of them. They could have literally like run and fallen down at first contact and still had like 160 or 170 yards uh, without a problem. I mean, and and this defense, I mean, this was was not an easy defense to go up against. And this was a defense that, you know, had been much vaunted coming into this matchup. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot. There was a lot of talks about you know the edge rushers, and they they had more hits and more quarterback sacks than anyone in the league. But uh, you know, I thought that the 49ers did a really good job. Kyle Shanahan did a really good job of neutralizing the pass rush for the most part. Got us on the safety, um, got us a couple other times. But um, you know, the quick screens that you know you saw him come out the gate and do um, a lot of that was to negate the pass rush, and I thought the 49ers did a good job of that. No, you're exactly right. I mean, calling those screens, calling tight end screens really quickly, getting the ball in their playmakers' hands is absolutely something that Kyle Shanahan likes to do, especially because he's trying to protect those tackles. What better way to not have to have your tackles blocked than to throw screens? Um, you know, and then you you really penalize the card the, the Panthers for their aggressiveness when you run a play like a trap. And and of course, because it's Kyle Shanahan, he's not just gonna run any trap. He's gonna run like a wing T counter trap because you know what? The Rams did it against the Niners. They had some success with Robert Woods. And so Shanahan's like, you know what? Let's go ahead and throw this play as well. But this is the play that sent Debo Samuel untouched into the end zone as well. 
And this is another play where you see one thing, you get another. I mean, you get like a pitch option that looks like Garoppolo is going to do a pitch option on one side. You have, a, you have an inside quick trap that hits Debo Samuel on the inside with the pulling guard. I, I mean, this was just like, where is the damn ball? And all of a sudden, you've got Debo in the end zone untouched. Yeah, you know, I coach high school football, and we've had to deal with the wing T offense, I'd say, out of the first five games, maybe four times. And it's extremely difficult, difficult for guys. You, you, it's something that you have to game plan against. And once you do game plan against it, you have to have really disciplined eyes. So this is the first time I believe that the 49ers have really showed that. Um, and you, you could clearly see that the Panthers were not ready for it at all. Even Luke, he, he, uh, I, I butcher his last name. I'll just say Luke, <laughs> one of the best linebackers in the league. Um, even he like had no idea where to go, where the ball was going, and he kind of just was stuck in place. And before he knew it, uh, Debo Samuel was running by him for a touchdown. No, that's exactly right. I mean, the wing T is all about having eye discipline, right? And you've got to follow your keys. And, and obviously, when you're when you're going up against the wing T, sometimes the key is the guard. Sometimes the key is going to be one of the wingbacks, and you, you basically just follow wherever that guy goes. It, it really is hard to, to defend. And when it's like one play that you have to do it, and you haven't necessarily seen it on film that the Niners have run, maybe other teams in the NFL have run it, but not the Niners, it, it does. It becomes very, very difficult. It feels like you're getting hit from every angle, and you're not sure why. Um, and, and that's exactly what he was doing to the Carolina defense. But uh, And by he, I mean Kyle Shanahan, of course. So Yeah, I think there was, um, you know, off of that, if – if if the Panthers kind of gave it to the 49ers, Debo Samuel actually could have pitched it to um, Emmanuel Sanders. So that might be something that they might do off of that, where if, you know, a defense crashes down on Debo, he can actually pitch it out to uh, Emmanuel Sanders. And we saw the Cleveland Browns do that um, early in the season. Yeah, you saw the Browns run that play. Of course, you saw Robert Woods run that play. These plays that Kyle Shanahan are, is calling, they're not ones that he always schemes up himself. There are some that he does that are unique to Shanahan. But the concepts that he's running and the plays that he's calling are not uniquely Shanahan's. They're run all over the league. And it's just that Shanahan has the ability, I think, to string these plays together, to call them at the right time, and to really put them together in a way that keeps teams off balance. And that's something that is unique to Shanahan and not unique to someone like Freddie Kitchens, who has the play in his playbook, but doesn't really string it together or call it at the right time necessarily to get maximum effectiveness out of that play. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. Kitchens looks like he's, he, he's lost. He's a little, he's a little overmatched. He's, he's like a, a rich man's Jim Tomsula, I guess. Um, but, you know, this is... I don't even know. Jim Tomsula <laughs> won six games. I mean, or five games, right? I mean, is Kitchens going to win that? And, I mean, you, Kitchens... You know, Jim Tom Sula, he won five games after losing everybody, right? It was a mass exodus of 49ers roster. Well, Kitchens has, all, like, every, like, weapons at his disposal offensively. Uh, on defense, he has guys, you know, he has two really good pass rushers, probably the best pass rusher in the league, and Miles Garrett. Um, there's no excuse for him to be getting his butt kicked like this. You're not wrong. That's kind of... You're not wrong, my friend. He does have more talent than than Tom Sula, I think, at his disposal, and he may not reach six wins. We'll we'll have to wait and see <laughs> whether or not the factory of sadness continues in Cleveland. Uh, but Jimmy Garoppolo, let's. I want to take a minute to talk about him because he's not been asked to do a lot so far this season for the 49ers. The game scripts have all been incredibly positive, both because the defense has been so good and because the run game has also been so good as well. But he had, uh, you know, he only had like three or four incompletions in this game. 
but he had one really, really bad interception. And he seems to have an interception like this every game or every other game. And this one against Carolina was like exceptionally terrible. I mean, you've got Carolina in a single high look and, and you got to be able to read your keys as a quarterback as well. And the, the defensive back has eyes on receivers. And you know that if they're staring right at the receiver, it's probably man coverage because they're looking at the receiver and not the quarterback. And, and you've got Bourne who runs a go route on the outside. You got Pettis who runs an out route underneath it. Now, Reed's a safety covering Pettis, and he's playing off coverage. Pettis has got the out route, and Garoppolo's looking that way, but instead, for whatever reason, he comes off of it, he quickly hitches, goes to Kittle, and throws it to Kittle really, really quickly, and Keekley's right there to undercut it. I mean, he's got to be able to either throw that out route to Pettis or know that Keekley's going to undercut it and either take the sack or move off to another read, and, and instead, he throws... A, a really, really bad interception. You can add it to the long list of bad interceptions. You know, so my question to you is, what do you, what, what are your thoughts so far on Jimmy Garoppolo? Because I, I do think he's been playing efficient football, but do these interceptions, as, as bad as they are, worry you? Um, they, they do and they don't. I, I think for some reason, it's like he throws the early interceptions. It seems like, I, I'd say like every interception he's thrown so far this year has been in the first half, right? And it seems like right after he throws the interceptions, he rebounds very well. Now, what, what I'm worried about is, is he going to make one of these boneheaded decisions at the wrong time? Um, maybe, you know, with the 49ers trying to come back um, in the game that's a lot closer than the games that we have played. I, I don't know that, and that's something that worries me. I, I'd say the thing that I am um, optimistic about, I guess you could say, is that we haven't seen him make those poor decisions Typically later in games, well, the Rams game, he almost threw one. But, um, and they didn't, they didn't capitalize on it to the uh, linebacker Middleton. But outside of that, I mean, I think he's, he's been pretty sharp down the stretch in games. And anytime the 49ers have needed him to string together drives, string together um, plays, lead the team down to, to score in clutch you know, situations, and even rebounding after poor you know, interceptions, it seems like he's done that very well. So if he continues to do that, you know, interception early, but, 49 rebounding and score a ton of points, great. But you know every game's not going to go like that. And that's where I'm a little worried. But so far, um, it hasn't been something that has been a big issue. We, we've seen it bite us in the butt one time um, last year against the uh, Vikings where, you know, he had the pick six. He had a couple other interceptions as well that were really bad in the 49ers weren't able to win that game. So hopefully we don't have too many games like that. And uh, we have more of good Jimmy that we do see more times than not. Like you said, 18 for 22. A lot of it was manufactured completions, had the, had the shovel pass to Debo Samuel, um, a lot of screens, misdirection stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I'm confident because so far what I've seen from him, he's, he's, there's a lot more good than bad. It's just that one or two bad throws per, per game. You know, I think you're absolutely right. There's still more good than bad when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo. And, and I'm not super worried about the turnovers. There's something to kind of flag as a we should keep watching this. But I'm not yes. too worried about it because he really is. When you look at the context of him across the league, he's about in the middle of the pack when it comes to turnover worthy plays. He's got a 3.64 turnover worthy play percentage this year. And that ranks about 18th out of 33 quarterbacks with a minimum of 100 dropbacks. So he's right in that kind of middling area. I mean, you've got players like uh, Dak, Matt Stafford, and Deshaun Watson, who all are hovering around that turnover-worthy play in the 3.5% area. 
you want a quarterback who's going to be able to take some risks. And, and that risk-taking sometimes doesn't always go your way. I think the more concerning part with Jimmy Garoppolo is that he's not doing the thing well that really elevated his play in 2017 when he was just playing lights out. And that's that intermediate area accuracy. That's where I've seen him take a little bit of a step back. And, and part of it is maybe because he's trying to get the ball out really quick. Um, and, and part of it is because, you know, maybe he's just, I don't know, something's going on. But you think of the, the play that he missed Emmanuel Sanders and, and Sanders was wide open. It was one of his incompletions. He was getting pressure on the edge. But he had a wide open Sanders, and I think in 2017 he he nails that throw. Um, you know, so I'm not sure exactly what's going on with him, but that I think is the piece that's a bit more concerning with me. It's his reduction in accuracy in the middle of the field than it is necessarily his turnover worthy plays because he's been about average there. Right. I, I think the the biggest issue and what the 49ers are trying to overcome is I don't think they trust the tackles at all. And if you really watch the games, a lot of times. There, there is pressure, and Jimmy Garoppolo just gets the ball out right before he can get hit. Um, they're constantly getting pushed back like right into where he, it's kind of difficult for him to step into throws. Um, so he's kind of losing a little bit of steam on deep throws that are you know out or like the throw you saw the other day um, where it kind of sailed on him. Now, maybe that was part, partly the wind. I, I, I know you're not in California. We were having like these crazy winds that day. I, I didn't know how they were going to throw the ball in that type of wind. But um, I, I know that one sailed on him. But, yeah, like you said, a lot of pressure. He's had a lot of pressure off the edge. Not, it hasn't been so much in his face. But, um, yeah, these, these tackles, they don't trust him. And you can tell that Shanahan is doing a lot of different things to try to help his tackles. Um, play action, get the ball out quick, um, like we talked about in that first drive. The screens, the little different things that kind of offset that pass rush. But I don't think that the tackles have played as well as other people. I see Jimmy Garoppolo getting kind of pressure in his face and tackles kind of pushed back, um, having to duck under like like the throw that he drove downfield to George Kittle where Kittle got hit and there was a penalty. I mean, you know, he had to dip underneath, step up, throw a ball, and I was like, wow, that was a really good play. But uh, again, that was him trying to, you know, really having to kind of create an opportunity. I mean, he's had to do that kind of a lot. He doesn't have the leisure to just kind of stand back there step in the throws and really just deliver strikes. And even when he does, I don't think he trusts it as much. So he's still getting the ball out probably quicker than he typically wants to. Now, don't confuse it. Don't confuse this with us saying that Jimmy Garoppolo has been playing bad football. I think he's still playing efficient football and he's doing exactly what the Niners need in order to keep winning games because, of course, they are indeed winning games. But, you know, you look at a quarterback that is not playing good football and that's Kyle Allen. Uh, especially against the Niners, because Kyle Allen came right back down to earth. He completed just 51% of his passes. He was sacked seven times. He averaged just 4.3 yards per attempt. Guess how many yards per attempt the Carolina Panthers rushed for? Uh, 4.3? 4, 4. <laughs> 6.8. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, 6.8 <laughs> yards per attempt. And they averaged just 4.3 yards per attempt through the air. Uh, and this is where we're going to get into your wheelhouse, my friend, because let's talk about E-Man's interception, Emmanuel Mosley, uh, because that was uh, it was his first interception. It was Kyle Allen's first interception. And it was uh, it was really, really fun to watch because it showed a guy who was really confident in not only what he was seeing on his on the field, but also was able to make a play on a ball. Yeah, you know, it was really cool. I had posted a video um, about it and I was talking about anticipation. Um, a lot of times, you know, I saw it with Emmanuel Mosley early in preseason. 
where there was a route and you could tell he felt it. He knew what the guy was running, but he didn't quite trust it. And he ended up breaking on it, like, you know, maybe a half step late. And he made the tackle as soon as the guy caught the ball. It was like a six-yard game. It, it wasn't much, but it, I talked about anticipation and having a feel for routes. And, and he knew it, but he didn't quite trust it. Well, this game against the Patriots, uh, I mean, the, the Patriots, the Panthers, he 100% trusted his instincts and what he saw on film. So, you know, I had the pleasure of um, Richard Sherman responding and kind of just talking about what it was that they went over. And he called it the, you know, it was a dagger concept, right? Um, most cornerbacks know if something goes out, there's something else coming in. My thing is I typically don't know. How do you know how deep that in uh, route is or what exactly that in route is? Is it a dig? Is it a post? Um, is it a curl? And that was what Emmanuel Mosley got. He got the curl. Well, he was itching. <laughs> you could see he just... He was itching to jump that. I slowed it down, and you can tell he's jumping the curl route before the receiver even stops. So I, I think that's a great part. And really, I think, you know, somebody like Richard Sherman has a lot to do with Emmanuel Mosley making that play because those are things that they're pointing out in film. And those are things you have to kind of learn how to watch film. I, it took me a while to learn how to watch film. But when you have somebody like Richard Sherman telling you, like, hey, look, this is the dagger concept. If you have this trip or this stack and this guy goes out, just know that this guy's doing the curl. And they got exactly what they saw on film. Emmanuel Mosley jumped it, and he, he made a tremendous play. But you have to trust it, and he trusted it there. That, that was a great play. Yeah, you know, it's absolutely something that you see on a film a lot. You see the, you know, the dragon concept, which is that slant flat. You get that curl flat. And, and the thing I think that helped Mosley was that he, was, he had his eyes on Kyle Allen. And Kyle Allen's someone who needs to play within structure. And so when he hit the back of that drop, he knew exactly where he was going to go. And, and Mosley has eyes on quarterback and he's, you know, kind of side shuffling. And he sees as soon as he gets to the back of his drop, he's going to break on the ball. You know, I think if, if Kyle Allen takes another couple of steps, then E-Man keeps going because he knows the drop's a little deeper. The route's going to develop longer. I mean, it is recognition and then breaking on the ball to click and close uh, when I took a scouting academy course, and that's what they call that trait, the ability to see something, have it click, and then have you close. Um, and, and that's, I mean, it's good. That, that's why you get someone who's an athlete like Mosley, because he's been playing incredibly well. And, and he's one of the reasons, I think, why the Niners have been so good and haven't missed a beat with Akella Witherspoon out with his foot injury. He's been incredibly impressive. I mean, he's been targeted 10 times this year. He's allowed six catches for 45 yards. Uh, you know, and that play, I think, was a combination of you know, again, like you said, watching film, getting some coaching, being able to use your athletic skills and breaking on the ball. Um, and, and I thought it was a really, really good play. Yeah, no, it, it was a great play. And, then, you know, I've been behind Emmanuel Mosley. Um, my thing is, there's a lot of people trying to give me credit. Like, you said it. And it's like, well, yeah, I, no, I, I didn't say that he would be this good. <laughs> you know, I, I said that I saw traits that he had the ability to be good. Um, having it translate to the actual games, that's a whole different ballgame. And I'm really impressed with how well his traits and his ability has translated to the game. And, you know, that has a lot to do with, you know, a lot of people. I, I, I talked about Richard Sherman, but, you know, um, you know, the defensive back coach, you got Joe Woods. And, you know, those guys have a lot to do with that as well. And he just him. Um, you know, I spoke with him a little bit and he has a you know really big faith in like God. And he talks about how you know, he's the underdog. All he knows is just work extremely hard. And, you know, he's never letting up. He, he never feels like, oh, I've arrived. 
He's always constantly trying to get better. And guys like that, man, when they go undrafted, they have that chip on on their shoulder. Um, sometimes they're able to do some really special things, and, and we've seen that with him. Absolutely. I think overall the defense played well. They, they showed a lot of what looked like single high, and then they went into cover four. And I think that got Kyle Allen a couple times because on Sherman's interception, that third and 12, similar kind of situation. The Niners showed single high, and they had Ward aligned over Curtis Samuel. And then you get Tart to drop in cover four, which makes sense. I mean, it's a third long down in distance, right? Third and 12. Uh, and, and I'm not sure if it was a miscommunication or if it was Kyle Allen just throwing an inaccurate ball. But uh, Moore goes in. Uh, DJ Moore goes in. The ball's thrown out, and it's thrown right to Richard Sherman. You've got your second INT of the game. Um, you know, so overall, again, the defense just shutting them down, being in the right place at the right time. And, and more split safety coverages are, are producing results, especially in long down and distances for the 49ers defense. But uh, despite the play in the secondary, I think there is one player of the game that I've got, which is not going to surprise anyone if you have eyeballs. Um, but for me, that spotlight player is Nick Bosa. I mean, three sacks, one incredible interception. The dude was all over the place. And I mean, he is definitely the front runner for defensive rookie of the year. Uh, I think he's going to get some buzz for maybe even defensive player of the year, irrespective of whether or not he's a rookie. Um, but do you have a spotlight player? Yeah, um, I'll go in a different direction, and I'll, I will go with Eric Armstead. And, you know, Armstead is a guy that you know a lot of people um, kind of wrote off as a bust. And he had actually played well, maybe didn't have the numbers to back that up. And now I think just playing with this collective group of talented uh, defensive linemen, you've seen him just take his game to the next level. I mean, he has been known to be a, a run stopper, but in the past game now, he has a career high in sacks, five and a half, and we're only seven games in. Um, and this game, he had a couple of sacks. Uh, you know, he has some run stops. Uh, Eric Armstead, man, um, I, I, I think he, he's been getting a little bit of love, but yeah, you know, I just want, obviously it's easy to give it to Bosa. Bosa lights out, amazing. Um, but Eric Armstead, man, I think he played a really good game. He, he's been a really good uh, guy, and he's kind of helped uh, D Ford get rest. You know, D Ford's dealing with the knee injuries and stuff like that, and they've been able to play Eric Armstead, you know, a little bit more on the edge, maybe more than they probably would have liked to coming into the season, but um, he, he's doing, doing a tremendous job. All right, well, it was always good to have you come back on. Friend of the pod, uh, you know, you, you come on every now and again to talk some defensive backs. It was good to get your insights on Emmanuel Mosley, but uh, thanks again, dude. It's always good chatting and catching up. All right, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. Anytime. Let's get to the rundown, which are those midweek stories of note or important stats. And we start right off the top with Emmanuel Sanders. How did he do? Well, pretty good for a short study week. He played 55 snaps. Most of all of the wide receivers. Debo Samuel was the other top snap getter for the 49ers. He did a really good job of using his hands to snatch the ball out of the air on a stick route. He made an adjustment to catch a tip ball in the end zone, uh, which was also on a stick uh, concept, by the way. Overall, I think he had you know no mental errors that, that you could see on film. And for someone who is effectively going to be the 49ers' number one wide receiver, I think he played a really, really good game. Uh, uh, I think he played a decent game, but I, di I still do think that there's more to Emmanuel Sanders that we will see for the 49ers before his season is done. Next up, Zach Dunn on Twitter posts a really, really interesting tell for the 49ers guards specifically. Uh, and this happened on uh, a pulling action where the guard, Lakin Tomlinson, lines up uh, a little bit far behind the, the tackle uh, and the center. And that's a, a really, really 
easy tell that he's probably going to pull, which makes sense because he's trying to tee up for that pull. So keep your eyes peeled. And if you see one of the guards line up a little behind uh, where you think he should, that's probably a tip that he's going to be pulling. The 49ers are one of the least penalized teams in the league. They have 39 penalties, lowest in the NFL. Now, granted, they have only played seven games, uh, but even if they were to play an eighth game and had the number of penalties that they average per game, they would still be near the bottom of the NFL. What explains it? Man, good players just don't get penalized a whole hell of a lot. And I do think that after a couple of years in the Shanahan Sala system, the players are really starting to understand exactly what they should be doing and how to do it. And so, because even players that haven't been playing uh, for the 49ers for too long are not getting penalized all that often. So I think it's just another sign of a well-coached team. And I believe that's what the 49ers are. And in case it wasn't obvious, start Tevin Coleman in all of your fantasy formats. He leads the running backs in snap counts. He is the goal line back. And now, of course, Matt Breida has an injury. And uh, I think Kyle Shanahan said that Breida, if the game were today, would not have played. So that means even more snaps for Tevin Coleman. So if you've got him, start him. If you're playing daily fantasy, start him because he is definitely a value pick for the 49ers. And now we're going to get to our preview of the Thursday night game against the Arizona Cardinals. But before we do that, let's take just a brief break to hear from our sponsors. With me this week to preview the matchup on Thursday night against the Arizona Cardinals is Ed Smith, former NFL tight end and host of Easy Sports Talk on KDUS 1060 in Arizona. Ed, how are you doing, my friend? Oscar, I'm doing well, man. Great to be on with you and looking forward to uh, getting this chat on. Now, of course, I can't I can't get into the Arizona game without first talking about one of your pro teams. Of course, you were a tight end on the Atlanta Falcons, uh, 97-98. And that meant, of course, that you were on that team that played the 49ers in 1998, the divisional game where Garrison Hurst breaks his leg. I think every Niner fan is convinced that if Garrison Hurst is still in that game, they win. What are your thoughts on that? Well, every Niners fan, including my brother, who Irv Smith, who was a tight end on that uh, Niners team that year, you know, so... Uh, it, it was one of those things, Oscar, where it, it, it just kind of, I can't explain everything that year for us as the Falcons. It just kind of worked out, man. It was one of those magical rides, and you hate to see, uh, you know, the injury, but, you know, a victory is a victory on our end. We still claim that no matter how, uh, you know, if Hurst was there or not, we were going to win that game. It was like a, a season of destiny for us. My brother doesn't necessarily agree with that he always tries to <laughs> grab my nfc championship ring whenever he can and says that should have been his but it says smith on it it just says e smith not i smith so what's your most what's your most vivid memory from that game from that game i would say uh you know one just being in that atmosphere in the dome with my brother uh on the opposite sideline i you know the, the we played against each other for a couple times when he was with the saints but, you know, different circumstances when you're talking about, you know, divisional game, getting ready to go up to Minnesota, winner gets to go to the Super Bowl. So for me, it was just, you know, my mom and dad being in the stands, which they'd watched this several times. But like I said, it was just so special because it was the playoff. And, you know, that for me, when that final bell ticked and, you know, we were going to Minnesota, still no guarantee we would win that game and go to the Super Bowl, but we were one step closer. And like I said, we I felt like we were a team of destiny, that year or so it was just it was almost like it was written and so it shall be and that's kind of uh you know the, the thought that we had on our sideline and it was something something special man 
Well, Ed, now you talk about the Arizona Cardinals. You've got a podcast and you're on the radio. So let's let's get into the preview about Thursday night because the Cardinals come in not as bad as a lot of people thought they were going to be. They're 500 for the first time since 2016. The 49ers, of course, have not beat the Cardinals during Kyle Shanahan's entire tenure. Seems to be the bugaboo even last year. And teams were like, oh, the Cardinals are the worst team in the league. Chalk that up to two wins. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the, the Cardinals are able to beat the 49ers. So what are your kind of initial impressions of this Arizona team, given that they are playing uh, some decent ball in spurts? Well, you know, it's been a it's been a pleasant surprise for us so far, Oscar, as far as, you know, the, the way the team has been playing. You know, obviously the record at 3-4-1, and one, we're not, uh, you know, burning the trails. And, you know, I know a lot of people will look at the teams that we beat, you know, going into Cincinnati and beating the Bengals. We still haven't won a game. The Falcons, I'm still shaking my head at their 1-7 and seven start. And then we go over and beat the Giants last week, or at least the week before. So, you know, people will say, well, you haven't beat anybody, but three wins in the NFL is three wins. And, you know, we obviously took it on the chin a little bit this past week against the uh, Saints. But who doesn't go into that dome when they're playing well and they're clicking on all cylinders and struggle a little bit? I've kind of said all along, the, the kind of the barometer for me with this team was going to be, are they staying in games? Are they not getting blown out? Do they look frazzled? Uh, on the field and off the field with the coaching staff. And I haven't seen that. So that's been a pleasant surprise to this point. We've got our flaws. We definitely have our flaws. Uh, cannot do anything within the red zone. I think we rank, uh, if not dead last, second to, uh, to last as far as red zone efficiency with touchdowns. Our running game will get a good game here and there. This past week, I think we rushed the ball. And obviously, we lost Edmonds uh, halfway through the game. And we also had... David Johnson was out, but I think we rushed the ball for 40 total yards this past game against the Saints. So there's a lot of there's a medium amount of good, a whole lot of bad, and a little ugly mixed in to our season so far. But when you look at the, uh, you know, everybody was saying the over/under as far as victories this year for this team was supposed to be around five or six, and we're at three now, along with a tie. So it's not all doom and gloom. We just have a lot of things we kind of got to clean up, uh, and uh, you know, it just continues to be positive as far as watching the team develop. Now, the matchup on the ground for the Arizona defense is not great. The The Cardinals really struggle against the run. They're 26 versus the run per pro, per pro football outsiders, uh, defense adjusted value over average metric. The linebackers are not playing super well. Uh, and when you're looking against uh, when you're looking up against the Niners team who pretty much can run the ball at will, even against decent run defenses, you, you can't be really excited about that prospect going up against the Cardinals. So what have you seen from the Cardinals run defense and, and why is it that they're not being able to perform as well uh, as perhaps you, you would hope with the acquisition of a linebacker like Jordan Hicks uh, and a couple of other players on that front? Well, you know, I'm really scared about this week, especially after what we witnessed uh, the 49ers do against Carolina this past week. And you guys haven't even asked uh, Jimmy uh, G to do too much to this point because the run offense has been so dominant. As far as our front over here, we've, you know, we've got Chandler Jones on one side. You've got Terrell Suggs on the other. Uh, Terrell's, you know, kind of on a pitch count in terms of number of snaps. You know, still a force when he's out there. Our biggest problem has been up the middle of the uh, alignment. And, you know, we're, we're back to the 3-4, switch back to that after the one-year experiment with the 4-3 uh, offense last year when Wilkes came in. But for whatever reason, we have struggled uh, maintaining the line of scrimmage. We've been getting beat up. And then once uh, the uh, running backs get into the secondary, our tackling has been horrendous. And I kind of saw that all the way from 
training from spring uh, spring training from training camp all the way to this point in the season. We just have not been able to tackle uh, at the second level. Like so once they get through, and you know it's going to be a problem, and this that's going to be, in my opinion, the biggest focal point of this game coming up, especially on a short week. A great running game travels on a short week because you know basically you get the blocking schemes down. If you come in here with a pass heavy kind of emphasis, you know, you got a whole lot of different things to kind of manipulate and it's on borrowed time because you're, you know, especially with the travel day, you're, you know, you don't have a whole lot of time to, to prepare. But with that with running game that you've established, if you come in here with that and beat us up with that early and then get a little play action, I think this could be one of those uh, games that gets away from the Cardinals early. I'm hoping that we uh, can sure up the front, but like I said, it's awful scary after watching what you guys did against Carolina this past weekend. Now, the Cardinals' defense is a little matchup dependent on the types of defenses they that they play or the types of game plans they really put together. Sometimes they play a lot of too high. Sometimes they go with a bit more pressure scheme. You, you look at the game against the Falcons, and they only played cover one or cover zero about 14% of the time. But then you look against the game, uh, you look in the game against the Bengals, and they're playing cover one or cover zero almost half the time, about 45% of the time. What do you think the, the defensive coordinator is going to scheme up for the 49ers, given what they can do on the ground? Do you think you're going to see a lot more pressure fronts, or do you think you're going to see them sit back in coverage? Now, that is a great question. I, you know, the, and I, one of the things I, from your, what you just uh, assessed, you know, when you're playing the Bengals, obviously you got uh, Dalton back there. I think their plan was, hey, we can frazzle him. Let's get after him. So that's what they did. And then the fact that they didn't do that against uh, – the Falcons, I think, primarily because even though the Falcons' record doesn't reflect it, they've got a whole lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. Matt Ryan, uh, Julio Jones, Ridley, I mean, Hooper. You could, so I think they were kind of fearful that if we go after Matty Ice, we're going to get nipped in the butt. So that's why they kind of calmed it down a little bit. I'll be really interested to see how they, I guess, determine their attack against the 49ers because you guys have been so consistent with the run. At the same time, you do have a, a very uh, uh, a good quarterback back there. We're still waiting to see him with his breakout game. He throws too much into the box, and maybe you guys beat us over the top with play action. Uh, if you sit back and wait too much, maybe you gas us from those long runs like you have over the last few weeks. So, you know, me trying to guess, if I knew the answer to that, I might call the Cardinals and see if they wouldn't mind me sitting in their room with them. Uh, this week as they prep on this short week because I really don't know. It's going to be interesting to see, I guess, almost how they pick their poison or what they try to take away from the uh, San Francisco offense. And the other thing I'll throw out there, and I'm, I'm no, you're probably you're very aware of this. We've had trouble covering anybody considered a tight end in the league. We've just determined that any tight end that we face, we do our best to get him his uh, validation for uh, the Pro Bowl or. Uh, you know, all pro because we've not covered one all year. Uh, the ones we have kind of they've come in with the softer numbers because they really didn't attack us in that area. But, you know, we've, we've struggled in that area, and I, I anticipate Kittle being a big, huge uh, factor in this contest coming up. Yeah, you know, this is a game where I think that uh, the acquisition of Emmanuel Sanders is really going to shine because if I were the Cardinals, I would say, yeah, you know what? Make them beat us over the top. I'm going to go ahead and stack some people in the box because I'm not going to let them run the ball, which I don't know that it would necessarily be the smart thing to do, but it sounds like something that, that they would do to try to not get beat by the strength. And, and like you said, I think this is where Patrick Peterson coming back is going to be helpful. Um, but if, if he usually plays shadow coverage, 
against the the top wide receiver, that's probably going to be Emmanuel Sanders. Now it's going to be, okay, who's going to cover Kittle? Uh, and, and that's going to be a difficult part. So I think if you try to roll coverage over to Kittle or try to, to double him up or bracket him, now you're really hoping Patrick Peterson's lined up one-on-one, and that's the matchup that I'm going to be watching is, can Emmanuel Sanders, who is now the 49ers' number one wide receiver, make, you know, effectively justify the trade going up against one of the the premier cornerbacks because Patrick Peterson is still good at football, irrespective of the fact that the Cardinals seem to want to trade him uh, every other week. Uh, but that's going to be a, a really fun matchup to watch. It's going to be Emmanuel Sanders versus Patrick Peterson because he does do some some more shadow coverage, and it's going to be interesting to see if he has a game uh, that's worth it or even if he's needed to be used based on the Niners' success on the ground. Yeah, you know, getting him back was huge. You know, we went the first six games without an interception. Last team to record one in his return two weeks ago, and he actually had one this past week against uh, Drew Brees uh, in the Saints. Uh, he brings so much to the table in terms of, like you said, freedom to let other people concentrate on different, uh, you know, uh, uh, weapons. So we'll see. And I, I, I'm right along the same lines as you, Oscar. I'd love to see that match up, uh, keep him shadowing uh, Sanders all the way through the game and then maybe mix some coverages up and figure out if you have to double, double Kittle uh, or whatever you have to do. But that's going to be key to the game. The, you know, we're saying this and, if you guys think if the Niners come out and run the ball like they did last week, that just or the passing game will just be a bonus for you know for the for the Niners. So the key is going to be stopping the run, and in my opinion, shutting down the passing options because I can't imagine you know a short week with uh, uh, you know coming in thinking hey we're going to have to throw the ball all over the place, especially against a front that has given it up like you said uh, plenty so far this this uh, season. Now, I'm most concerned about Chandler Jones because I was hoping that Joe Staley would come back this week, but it looks like he will be out this week and won't come back until week 10. But that means that you've got Chandler Jones. He's got nine sacks on the year going up against uh, Justin School, uh, or if they switch him over to the other side, maybe Dan Brunskill, or in some cases, maybe even Levine Toilolo, who stays in to pass protect on some uh, on some passes. So um, that's probably why I think the Niners still keep the ball on the ground, and that's because you don't want to have too many long developing plays with Chandler Jones rushing after the quarterback because he's still able to wreck games uh, for the Arizona Cardinals. Absolutely. And you know, and I still like Suggs on the other side. Like I said, his motor's not as high as it used to be, but you know, he gets after it as well. When you have those two, Chandler Jones comes from one side, Suggs on the other, uh, they can put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. With that being said, you know, there's ways to get around that. Like you said, with that running game, if you can establish that first and then, they're not able to pin the ears back and, 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 and obvious, you know, passing situations to go get the quarterback. That, that gives uh, a way to a lot of different options. And I'll say this too, I, you know, I've really, I've been really impressed with the, I guess the schematics of what Shanahan has done as far as your, uh, the offense, you know, some different wrinkles uh, showing, you know, different formations, some motions to confuse. And, and it's been really impressed. And I, I hope we eventually get to that point here with Kingsbury, but that'll be another thing. Sometimes the best way to uh, thwart that be a rush, you know, especially from someone like a Chandler Jones, is either throw right at him behind him or aggressive against him. So it'll be interesting to see how they attack him or if they go away from him. Uh, it, it's a game of chess, though. We'll, we'll find out early on, and then from there, who makes the adjustments moving forward. Now, when you speak about the, the head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, he has brought some offensive innovation to Arizona, and, and the offense has actually been playing well in spurts. Sometimes, you know, they kind of go into a, a bit of a shell, especially when they try to rely too much on the run game. But 
this is an offense that has been shown that they can come back if they get down. Now, this will be a good test against the Niners secondary because the Niners secondary has given up the fewest explosive plays in the NFL per NFL matchup. Just 20 plays, uh, more than uh, 20 yards downfield over the air or 15 on the ground. Uh, and when you think about their turnaround from last year to this year, I mean, it's been one heck of a turnaround. And in 2019, they're allowing only a 50.7 quarterback rating uh, through the air. And their touchdown to interception ratio is four allowed touchdowns in the air and five interceptions. So they're definitely a strong test for Cliff Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals defense. But Kyler Murray has not been under pressure a whole lot of a lot. He's got one of the best pressure rates in the league. And that's because of the interior of that Cardinals offensive line. Justin Pugh, A.Q. Shipley, and J.R. Sweezy. So what do you expect from Kyler Murray and the Cardinals offense going up a, a strong secondary in the San Francisco 49ers? Well, you bring up a great point. I've been impressed uh, like sporadically with the game plan and i was just talking to a colleague earlier the the cardinals have you know even right out of the box against the saints uh, last week they do a little flea flicker action a little throwback and they got you excited i kept thinking wow this is you know okay they opened it up here we go and then the rest of the game it was kind of really stagnant so it seems like they have one or two really innovative series during the uh during the course of the contest and then they kind of flatten out from there as far as the offense um, you know, Kyler has been a, a, a nice surprise. Uh, uh, they do a pretty good job of keeping him, more, keeping him on the move. Obviously, with his size, he has a little bit of a disadvantage, but they've been creating some lanes for him to get outside of the pocket. I just wish they were a little more vertical in their attack. There's been a lot of horizontal action to this point. And that's the one part that is, it concerns me a little bit. We're going to have to get the ball upfield because – it's you're not one. You're not going to have long sustained drives. I don't think against that uh, San Francisco front and secondary, especially. You got to take some shots over the top. But to this point, we haven't done enough of that. So you know, if we can. We're already down Edmonds. We're you know, you know he's injured with a hamstring. Uh, maybe David Johnson comes back back this week. He's still dealing with the back. We've got uh, Kenyon Drake. I think we just made a trade for uh, before the deadline. So. It's one of those things where we might be going without any type of running game. Uh, a lot more might be hoisted on top of Kyler Murray's shoulders. Maybe he's going to be a diss into the running game. Uh, but we obviously, we got to throw the ball a little more and uh, definitely score within the red zone. We've been struggling, like I said, about that earlier. Uh, but as far as the attack, I, you know, on short week, uh, I've been there before. The short week is, hey, we're going to kind of reuse some of the stuff we did from last week because we don't have enough time to necessarily install and we'll customize it, obviously, against the, the the next opponent. But, you know, we'll see what they come up with. I, those short weeks are really tough to get really innovative as far as the attack. And, you know, if we come out there and we're flat in that running game and Kyler has to go back there and drop back 35, 40 times, it could be a very long day for him. Yeah, you know, you think if, if the Cliff Kingsbury offense is going to be a little scary with Kyler Murray, you've got to think that one of the antidotes to that is being able to rush with four and, and still be able to play coverage behind it. And, well, I do think that the offensive line for the Cardinals and pass protection is one of the better ones that the 49ers have faced so far this year. I do think that it will be very interesting to see um, what Cliff Kingsbury dials up because, I mean, you do have some quality wide receivers. You've got Christian Kirk. You've got Fitzgerald, who seems to be on that Jerry Rice end of career plan where he doesn't seem to, to age much, even though he's getting up yeah. there in his years. Uh, and then you even got Michael Crabtree, who's playing a couple snaps. Is is he still is he still playing for the Cardinals, or or is he now? Uh, yeah, they, they let Crabtree go after I think the third game of the season. So 
that yeah, that experiment ended pretty early. I was really hoping for some kind of a Crabtree revenge game, and by that I mean being held to like zero <laughs> catches or getting thrown a fade that you know he didn't catch in the end zone or something like that. Um, but man, you know, even Andy Isabella, who I actually really liked coming out uh, of of UMass, you know, there's there's some talent there, and and the big story, of course, of the Cardinals is that they run the most four and five wide receiver sets in the NFL. And, and so I think it'll be interesting because it's going to be a good test of the 49ers depth at corner, uh, a position that they've been able to play so well so far, or that has played so well uh, so far this year. So Ed, what's your prediction for the game uh, when you think of the spread? I think the spread's up to 10 at this point. What do you think ends up happening uh, against the Cardinals? Who do you think wins and, and what's the score? Yeah, this one is, you know, I've, after watching what you guys did last week, and, I, and I'm not just emphasizing last week, I should say what you've done to this point in the season. Uh, very consistent the run game from San Francisco will travel well. I, in my opinion, I don't think you're going to have to come in here on this short week with a bunch of extravagant packages or anything like that. Um, if you attack this front, you know, uh, running the ball like you've done to this point, if we can't stop it, it's going to be a long day for us. And then obviously we have Peterson back in the, the secondary, but a lot of other inexperienced parts back there. So uh, this looks like a game to me especially the way our offense has struggled in the red zone. Uh, I have this one pegged at like 27 to 13. So I give us a touchdown, a couple of field goals, uh, you know, and then, and that's, I'll throw the caveat out there, Oscar. That's if your defense doesn't force a couple turnovers and they pressured and you know, maybe uh, fumble here or something like that, it could be a little worse than the 27 I'm predicting. I'm going 27 just by your offense, throwing another uh, interception or something like that. Cause you always, have people lurking back there. It could be a little worse than that. But 27-13 is my initial uh, uh, thought on this game in favor of the uh, 49ers. Yeah, you know, I think this is a game that the Niners, uh, they absolutely should win. This should break the Kyle Shanahan losing the Cardinals streak. Uh, I think the, yeah. total, the, the total set at 43-44. So uh, I think that it probably doesn't hit the over only because the Cardinals uh, are, are not going to score hopefully that many points. So I agree. Yeah. It sounds like a good score. I think the Niners come out with a win and stay undefeated. That, that's the guess for me, man. I would be very shocked. And you know, I'll throw this out there. It is Halloween. Stranger things have happened. It'll be a Halloween night game, so we'll see. The other factor, too, Oscar, I'm wondering how many of our Arizona faithful fans are going to be out either trick-or-treating or sitting in the bar somewhere. I know how well you guys travel. This could be one of those games where we're Coming out of the tunnel with a 50-50 split, so that could also play a factor in the game. It's going to be a pretty uh, not a non-hostile environment for you guys over here, I think. Well, hopefully the Cardinals don't dress up as a good football team, uh, and instead the the Cardinal Stadium dresses up like Levi Stadium. I think that would be a, go a good outcome for us 49ers. There you go. All right. Well, Ed, thanks so much for taking the time uh, for chatting with us, and Best of luck on Sunday, uh, but not too much luck, as I wish all of our uh, hosts that come on uh, to preview the game. Appreciate it. I'll talk to you in a bit. Well, that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Thanks again to our guests, Eric Crocker and Ed Smith. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. <laughs>